welcome back on Relating Listeners. So today we have a special guest, someone I've been looking forward to interviewing for many months. He's my main teacher in the world of couples therapy. And uh, let me give you a little bit of bio, a little background on Mr. Stan Tatkin. So uh, currently, Stan is the co-founder of the PACT Institute. That's the psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Dr. Tatkin is an assistant clinical professor at UCLA, the Deffen, or the David Geffen School of Medicine. He has a private practice in Southern California, and he leads PACT programs that I've attended and have assisted. And he is the co-author or the author of We Do, Wired for Love, Your Brain on Love, Relationship Rx, Wired for Dating. And he is the co-author of Love and War, in intimate relationships and a new book called The Baby Bomb. So without further ado, I bring you Stan Tatkin. Welcome, Stan Tatkin. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, Me too. Yay. So um I thought for the listeners, um, many, many know you, but um, I, I thought it'd be great for you to introduce yourself, particularly like, um, I mean, I've heard the story before to some degree, but I would love to just hear, you know, kind of the story of how you got so passionate about couples work. Actually, I, um, I was never passionate about couples work when I first started. I was afraid of couples. Uh, I had a terrible experience when I was a trainee. I ended up uh, doing couples after uh, already a long career. And uh, uh, what led up to that was working with prevention. I wanted to finally do preventive work by seeing caregivers and their infants. And uh, I was enamored with the Watch, Wait, and Wonder program up in Ontario, up in Vancouver, rather. And uh, I thought, you know, after all these years of dealing with pathology, that it made sense to me with all the research that I had read on it, that prevention would be the way to go, starting early with these, the original couple, basically. And uh, that didn't turn out very well because uh, I couldn't get people to come in. Uh, only a very few people would come, very few uh, uh, family members would come in. It seemed very hard to attract uh, young parents with their infants, I think because there's no model for it. And in our culture, people generally, if you don't have to do it, you don't do it. If you don't think that there's a real big problem, then why go? Whereas in other countries, it's mandated in, with some populations where the research shows that it really works. And so I was disappointed by that. And I was also taken with uh, John Gottman's early psychobiological research. And I found, uh, as I was doing my own trainings at the time in neuroscience and arousal regulation and attachment, that there was a sort of a one-to-one 
similarity between infant attachment um, and adult pair bonding. So I started to do couples work and I found that that was a way to actually work with children indirectly and to do prevention work. And that's what set it off. That's what started the whole thing. And so I took the technology that I started with uh, infant caregivers, videotape, and started video recording couples. And then one thing led to another. And here we are. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and what what are you what are you coming to? I know, you know, I mean, it's such a it's such an evol complex, evolving understanding, right? Couples and and what what works, what makes them what makes them work uh, function well. But what are you coming to in a kind of in a in a nutshell, like if you could, um, around the understanding of what what makes for like a successful long term monogamous relationship? It's a good question, and that that was the question that I've been uh, struggling with all this time, trying to put all these puzzle pieces together and make sense of them going from the minute and detailed to the general, uh, the kind of the opposite way of, of, of the way some people work. And <clears throat> what I've come to is quite simple, but still very difficult. And that is that in, in unions that are free, that people expect to be autonomous, independent, and have their own wishes and desires and terms, that only in, in unions where there is a sense of purpose, uh, a, you know, a set of common ideas and, and vision with adherence to a social contract of fairness and justice and mutual sensitivity, those are the only systems that can last, that are democratized. There are systems that are not democratized, that have long worked in other cultures, including subcultures of our own, that look more like dictatorships or master-slave relationships. But those are consensual in the sense that the culture sets up the inequity and the inequity isn't seen as such until it is. And so those can work just like there's parity with, and not that this is the same thing at all, but there's parity in success with arranged marriages as there are with marriages based on attraction and love. And so, but even there, there's something to be said for two people working together and forging a union that works for both. I think it's safe to say in unions where it works only for one person, but not the other, that's not going to last. And if it does last, that's the kind of union we hear about later as being miserable and sacrificial. So in some, it's what I like to see 
are two people who are grounded in, in a purpose that makes them interdependent. Survival, I think, is one of those purposes. And th that has been around since the beginning of, of human history, pair bonding and grouping because of survival. It's the great unifier. But then there are other reasons to, to interdepend. Prosperity, happiness, uh, increased complexity, growth. You could name it, uh, spiritual uh, development. Whatever partners want or agree to, uh, as long as they set the bar to a certain height where they strive and achieve to attain those, those visions, those goals, those are unions that are probably going to last a lifetime. So um, the, the, the simple but extremely difficult task, right, is to create yes. a relationship that ongoingly works for both parties. That's right. I wanted to highlight that, which is, is it, it sounds like, well, okay, that's, of, that of course, simple, right. And yet, right, that that's the, you know, why is that? Why is that so difficult, seemingly? Because human beings are, uh, the nature state of human beings uh, is, is not consistently collaborative. We're collaborative so long as it suits our interests. But when it no longer suits our interests, like when we're under threat, we're under stress, we become non-collaborative. And, and then we act in a way that's unfair or un, uh, unjust or insensitive. And that is offensive to the other. That starts a, a sort of a, a sequelae that begins to develop and uh, and uh, and and almost uh, kind of like an addiction, uh, um, where there is a a back and forth uh, reaction. The system reacts to itself, but under under a condition of threat, not under a condition of choice choicefulness. It's reactivity. Uh, it sounds very Bowenian, but it is actually, I think he's right about that, the reactivity problem. Partners are no longer thinking, they're reacting. And they're acting according to their, their reflexes, their impulse to protect their own interests at all costs. Right. So the, 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 the culture starts to drift and, 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 and feed on itself or uh, just kind of go into a, a feedback loop of sorts. Feedback like loop, yeah. Describe it, right? And so um, the, the task then of, of any couple, I'm just trying to, you know, for the listener, you know, it's, there's a lot of theory here, but I don't want them to lose track of actually what a, like a, a kind of a simple um, guiding principle here, which is that, but what we describe it, that their task, right, is to continually um, reorient towards a collaborative mindset in, in, the, right. in the midst of perceived threat. That's really hard. This is really hard, right? If, yes, if the other yes. is, is, isn't treating you as you experience it, as sensitive, as fair, as, as just, as collaborative, uh, often your task is to 
respond with something that will move the the culture back, the the relational culture back towards collaboration, uh, kindness. Uh, uh, yes, Be- because the the more complex, mature way of thinking about collaboration is that is related uh, again and again to self preservation, but we forget that. Uh, the, we forget that our yeah we forget that our that our self preservation in these unions lies in the in the collaborative and cooperative nature of the union, and as soon as we break with that, uh, we're in jeopardy. Uh, you know, ourselves are in jeopardy, but we don't think that way because we're not thinking, um, and then we start operating under beliefs beliefs that the mind makes up according to our attributions, our memory, our history, and belief, you know, our beliefs, beliefs are stronger than truth. So we believe what our mind tells us, you're doing this purposely, you're a corrupt individual, you don't care about me, you're greedy, you know, all these things that I, uh, I come to believe, and then uh, the mind's natural confirmation bias tendency seeks to prove it again and again. And then we uh, start moving towards disillusion uh, because we're no longer seeing each other as allies or friends. Yeah. Yeah. And with, <laughs> with, with all that said, like what, you know, I'm, I've been trying to answer this question for folks because, you know, at least in my area, you know, generally on the West Coast, there's a lot of skepticism about even the concept of monogamy these days right. like why like why would you even go there when when you could sort of craft a you know pretty good relational life like kind of you know with multiple different um you know friendships even romantic um relationships so why why monogamy there is no there is no uh uh biological uh mandate for humans to be monogamous we're not that species there are naturally monogamous human beings and we could get into the biology of of them uh, you know the the um the endocrinology of that system but it is not across the board and we can't say that the human primate is a monogamous mammal we choose monogamy for a variety of reasons most of them bad most of them unsustainable religion um uh jealousy um uh, financial security the the idea that it isn't right uh that became a cultural norm it's not everywhere that that that's a cultural norm but it certainly is in the west but there are good reasons, I think, one could find to be monogamous, but that would take a certain level of complexity to find that in a person. So I'm monogamous because I want to know what it's like to focus on one thing, uh, which is why I chose to be a specialist in couples um, after a long life of floating and doing 
you know, a lot of different things and enjoying a lot of different interests, but not being a master of any. I finally learned to discipline myself to focus on one thing. And I discovered something about myself in doing that, that in that in that specialty, I found a universe of unimaginable detail and interest, interesting, um, uh, undiscoverable uh, ideas. I'm still discovering it. I'm still finding it. And so just carrying that over to a person when there's so many other people I could, I could taste and enjoy and engage with. Why pick just one person? Uh, because there's something, there's something disciplined and rewarding in finding the unique in the ordinary. Finding and, and studying and meditating on something that is uh, that I think I know, but do I? As opposed to always looking and chasing novelty, which I had a long life of doing. <laughs> so, so that's my reason. Uh, I do it for myself. Along with I would never want to hurt my partner. But that's not the central reason. Because if that were the central reason, then I would find other ways to, to get away with it without hurting my partner. Right. So what, what I hear in that or what I take away from that is that it's, um, it's not something that most people actually really earnestly contemplate, like deeply. Like, That's correct. Right. The, the why. They find themselves in one, you know, that seems to be the norm and, and yet part of them doesn't feel fully aligned with it, but they don't necessarily have the um, framework or maybe the culture around them that is helping them come to a, 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 a deeper, very, very personal, very lot like um, enduring uh, reason. And so they might deviate and they may not uh, give themselves fully to it. And then that can end up maybe even um, seeding the, the demise of the relationship potentially. If both people, there are plenty of open marriages, polyamorous relationships, uh, polygamous societies that thrive. So it's not, it, it, it by no means does it mean that the only union that can exist successfully is a dyadic union. Uh, it all depends on the mindset of the people involved, the structure and the sort of the guardrails that they set up and how they're going to govern, how they're going to do this or that. But you're quite right. Most people on the planet never think through anything very much. And so, you know, we're, we're a very Epicurean um, animal. You know, there's all this delight out there. Uh, why not do it all? Why not, uh, you know, have many lovers? Why not have lots of pairs of shoes? Why not have several cars if you can? Um, that's easy to understand. I don't think that unless, unless somebody has reason to go any deeper or any further with themselves, what would be the point, right? Uh, if there's a societal norm to thou shalt not cheat on, on, 
on on thy partner. Okay, well that is one guardrail, but that's that's not very complex and or very meaningful. In fact, it leads to a sense of deprivation. I'm I'm being deprived of something. And a lot of people go into unions suddenly attracted to them and then once in start to feel deprived. Now I'm trapped. Now I can't do these things. Because they never really understood why they were becoming a union in the first place. They were attracted to the idea. Uh, but they didn't have a personal idea or a unified idea even. We'll just fly by the seat of our pants. Love will prevail. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll know how to do it. And of course, nobody does. Well, what I'm fine. I mean, what, what you 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 you've given the reason that I that I took to heart some years ago that has helped me, you know, in my marriage in terms of you know coming you know coming to a personal reason that that felt very compelling, and that was, you know, uh, I if I devote myself to this uh, to to my wife and and to our to our to our developing relationship fully and completely. Uh, then I get to see what it's, what's possible for it. What, um, rather than if I'm, if, if I'm, if I'm as well as like, it creates a sense of secu- a sense of security so that, uh, so that I'm relaxed enough to do that work, right. To, to develop it, develop, develop myself and, and, and the relationship as well. In, in contrast to if I were to um, explore, you know, a, a, a lot of other relationships and then deal with the insecurity, and this, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that, that can have its virtue, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, bring that insecurity into the relationship, and then there would be a lot of work to handle that insecurity. And, and, that, and there's only so much, as I find, especially with a child, there's only, there's only so much work and energy that i have so i have to be i want to be kind of judicious about it or um about where i want to put it so that's 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 where i came to in terms of yeah why. yeah i i it's a pro i think it's a growth process the other thing i i thought of it is uh if if people aren't okay with grieving losses then uh, I think that's a problem in general, uh, in life, in adaptation, in happiness, that as we move through time, we're constantly losing things. We choose this path, we lose all the other paths. We give them up. And I think a lot of people don't like that idea, that, uh, that in reality, uh, every choice we make involves losing things. And even some of the choices we don't make involve losing things anyway, like our our health um, or our youth. But to to decide to be monogamous, if one does decide, there's no there's no. I don't think there's any real virtue in it. Tell you the truth, it's personal. As one decides to to do that for their own reason, they necessarily would have to be able to grieve the loss of being able to jump out of the saddle and find something different, right? 
uh, to find a, a, an aspect of themselves that they lost back when they were young and were able to jump in and out of bed with a lot of different people or court the idea of marrying different people. Th that's a constant loss that is in mind as one travels through time, but it's a chosen loss. And I'm not sure that this goes, I think, with any anything, the vicissitudes of life where we're, we're, uh, we're thrown curveballs and we have to adapt. We have to lose things in order to look at what we're gaining and to exploit what we gain, right? I think we're a culture that doesn't grieve loss. Uh, we don't like to lose our youth and beauty. We don't like to lose anything. And so many people can't make decisions um, or can't stick with their decisions. Anyway, I, I, I think there's, I think grief is part of this, um, this growth idea of moving towards complexity. There is no complexity without being able to grieve loss continuously, I think. I see that. Yeah. Well, I've really appreciated that conversation. There's a lot more there. And, um, and I, I wanted to cover something with you that, um, I, I, I think could be of a real value to folks out there. And from what I'm hearing and kind of, uh, interfacing with in, in my work. Um, and that is like the, the process of how to, how to deal with the trails. And, um, and as I've been really starting to see it, it, it we're not, I mean, our, our mind generally flashes to like big ones, like um, uh, <clears throat> uh, sexual betrayal. Um, but in reality, there's, there's all these, there's, a, there's this whole spectrum of, of betrayals or infidelities, right? Wherein like the, um, a person in a partnership um, acts in a way that is not infidel, like is, is, is not infidelity to the yes. relationship, right. right? And that strikes a, a, a certain kind of chord of insecurity and, and pain, hurt, differing reactions. And, and how that is actually dealt with seems to be something that um, most people that I've, that, well, myself included, you know, I'm still, still working on that, um, don't know how to, how to do, you know, um, identify a, uh, an infidelity or betrayal and then repair it. So love to hear your kind of, you know, your framework on how to deal with betrayals and infidelity. I, I think uh, betrayal is a subjective experience that is, uh, uh, th that exists in the person who feels betrayed they may be able to get others to agree with them, including their partner. But if, if a partner in a, in a union that we're talking about, and fidelity here is not about sex or romance, but it's about fidelity to the, the principles established by the partners of the union, and that's across the board, then, then betrayal should be very clear. It shouldn't be simply subjective. It should be uh, um, a, 
agreed to by the other partner because the fidelity of the partnership has been established as this is this is what we're going to do and this is what we're never going to do so say the two of us there are problems in 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 partnerships where there is no architecture there is no vision shared vision shared purpose or any shared principles of how they're going to govern and then one person's betrayal then is a complaint that is basically the sound of one hand clapping and that becomes a problem systemically because the the system has opened itself up to uh, problems in the union because there's no governance and that's mostly the case with couples there is no governance and there never was there's only ad hoc governance you know you should have known you you shouldn't have done that um i thought you understood right there's tacit govern uh, governance you know uh, we just think we understand each other but there's no explicit sense and so let's take the explicit sense of infidelity to principles so i betrayed you by going outside of our agreement and told things about you to somebody outside of our circle when we clearly agreed we weren't going to do that without getting the other person's permission that's a betrayal i spent money beyond the limit that we agreed to without informing you and getting your uh, buy-in i had i created an unholy alliance with one of our children and contributed to the splitting of you and i with that child where i'm good and you're bad that's a betrayal right so then there's i have an offshore bank account that i never told you about or i actually have a secret family that i never told you about or I've been having an affair and I haven't told you about that. Those are the ones that cause the most damage. Those, uh, what they have in common is that I left you out of vital information that you had a right to know. Now, the, the spending the money, you had a right to know, but that's immediate. This was information that if you had known, you could have made decisions that might have included leaving me. It could have included any number of things, but I, I took that away from you. you. I took that information away so you have no agency and you have no knowledge, and now you find out that what you thought was, wasn't. I could, and this has happened, um, I could discover that you're 10 years older than, you, than I, I thought you were because you had lied to me. And I found out maybe years into our relationship. That could do the same thing. So, and, and by the way, the same thing could happen as if I found out my mother was actually my sister or my grandmother. So the reveal of information or the discovery of information that if known would have changed everything causes 
a kind of PTSD in the discovery person. And that messes with their head. They have all the symptoms of PTSD, mood instability, um, thoughts that won't go away, obsessions, uh, paranoia, um, sleep problems, flashbacks. Uh, they're, They're not going to be well for quite some time as the brain has to recalibrate this new information and all of history that encompasses that new information there's nothing that person can do anything about. So the, the, the cheating or the money is less of the, the problem as the withholding of information, vital information, and that is devastating to the safety and security of the relationship, maybe permanently, because the discovery partner can never know what's true again. I can never know... Um, what the truth is, because there's evidence now that you can do this. How do I know you can't do this again? And how do I know what you're saying now is even true? That's not about you. It's about what it's done to me. And so are there people who leave information out for, you know, for very good reasons, uh, subjectively? Yeah. I mean, is all leaving out and withholding of information evil? No. I'm just describing what the experience is for the discovery partner, that it doesn't matter the intention of the withholding of information. The withholding of information is, in and of itself, damaging and, and sometimes irreparable, depending on how, how, they, how they handle this going forward. Most people don't handle it well going forward. Um, they either break up or they equivocate, cut corners because it's so painful, and they bend reality in a way that puts it in the past, but it's not. And it's it just continues to erode like a cancer cell. And what does it look like to handle it well? Like from from the small one of uh, going over this agreed upon spending limit to the to the big one of withholding, you know, a three year affair. Yeah, I I think um, I think it's an opportunity um, for something quite good, but it's very hard for partners to see that in the in the wake of of the the damage and this huge crater that that discovery creates. The, the onus for a large part of this is on the, the person who kept the secret. And it's not easy. If we look at justice systems, because this is a matter of injustice, the person who, who felt betrayed wants justice. But they also want to know that, that, that they can continue with this person without fear of, of, of being damaged again. So I want justice. I want to punish you. I want some kind of, of, of recompense for what you stole from me. But I also don't want to lose you. I'm in a pickle. But how can I keep you without being in danger? And so it's, it's a real... It's a real conundrum. 
for the person who's who caused the injustice, let's say I want to keep you, I want to stay, but I also don't want to be beaten up the rest of my life. I don't want to be reminded of how bad I am. I don't want to feel that everything I do now is going back to the original injury. And so I can't make any complaints at all. I feel neutered. And and not, that's a conundrum for me. But what actually has to happen is reformation. That, you know, that the the secret keeper, the person who created the injustice, has to sort of pay back to society, (laughs) Uh, has to understand the damage that they created and what, what was in them that allowed themselves to break with the fidelity of the relationship, to break with the agreements, to break with the union, and to do something without the other person's knowledge, as opposed to just leaving them, as opposed to just telling them and and taking the punch. So that has to be explored, and that person has to sort of grow up through that and understand what in their character allowed them to make such a, 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 it sounds a little too demeaning, but such a cowardly decision. Uh, as to take uh, really the easy way out, um, as to not uh, meet their their agreements, their um, uh, what you know uh, what what is expected of them, and so there's there's a kind of an opportunity for growth, uh, an opportunity to become a better person. To uh, I, I keep thinking of um, that movie, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, with Jeffrey uh, with uh, Irons um, and um, well, I can't remember his name Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was a mercenary who killed and killed and killed, and uh, and wanted to. Oh, no, the mission. Was it the mission? The mission, yeah, that's your It was the mission. Thank you. Okay, uh, so don't go watching the last. Although that oh. was a great movie. That's the wrong actor too. That's. Uh, my left foot actor. Anyway, where where in order for him to 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 cleanse himself of his misdeeds, he ended up protecting the people that he was killing. And there's that famous scene of him going down uh, a waterfall on a cross uh, as a way to uh, to ju- just to show that he had uh, he had surrendered to the idea of who he was and what he had done instead of fight it. And, and sort of taking that as part of his growth, part of his understanding of humanity and compassion. I think that's the path of somebody who creates that kind of injustice. That's not very attractive, I think, to most people. And because uh, they just want to get out of this. They just want to feel better. But in my experience, anything that resembles that is uh, is the only way back in to this relationship uh, that shows good faith. And it takes some mediation, some help, some third-party guidance, 
to help most people do this because, again, the tendency is to either split up or to cut corners and just say, oh, I forgive you. Uh, and then, of course, things happen again because there's no learning. They never found the flaw in the system that, that led to this in the first place. Uh, so it's, it's a long path. It's a hard, arduous path. But with, with good support, it's worth it. Because I think that that relationships, secure relationships, are about forgiveness uh, through deed, right? You earn forgiveness. Uh, you're not just forgiven. Uh, you, you show, you prove yourself to be worthy, both as a sense of, of self, uh, a, a sort of saving the self, but also saving the relationship. But I think it ha there has to be a focus on this is for me. I'm saving myself. I, I don't want to be that person. And I must understand how I, I am that person and how I can become better. What, what as you're describing that, I just see how much it it it, um, it hinges or um, revolves around that person's um, relationship to their own shame in, in such yes. a situation, right? Yes, because uh, if, if if the shame becomes too much, then then and they don't know how to handle it, they don't have the support for it or um, the um, ability to. Um, find some measure of self-compassion they'll they will give up the, they can't hang out they can't hang right. in there right uh, both parties um the both parties by the way feel shame uh the shame of not knowing the shame of being uh you know a rube uh somebody who was a fool uh, somebody who got uh um you know um uh, who wasn't smart enough to know better. Uh, that's shameful, right? Um, the humiliation of a partner uh, cheating on them uh, is shameful. So both are feeling shame, but I, I understand what you're saying. In order for the person who has the heavy lifting to do, they have to be scaffolded enough to not give up, to not, you know, self-implode. Uh, commit suicide, or probably more likely just quit and go f start over again and never tell anyone. Uh, that's the most common outcome uh, out of shame. And uh, I can't, you know, I can't ever overcome this. I'll never be forgiven. I'll never I'll always wear the scarlet letter and uh, I'm branded. But again, we're talking about character. <laughs> And character doesn't just come to us. You know, we're, we, we learn how to develop character in our childhoods with good parenting, right? Uh, with good parenting, uh, hopefully, is the development of, of, of a character structure that, uh, that generally does the right thing when it's the hardest to do. Is that, and, is that uh, how you would define character? Doing the right thing. When yes, it's the thing. doing the right thing when it's the hardest thing to do is character. Uh, uh, you know, uh, doing what's best uh, even when it's not easy. Uh, doing what's best even when I don't feel like it because it's the best thing. You know, I don't eat the 
this marshmallow because if I wait 15 minutes, I'll get two marshmallows and I will achieve more. So I'm delaying gratification for something else. It's a, it's a kind of self-control uh, 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 discipline of oneself that makes it possible to engage with others in a manner that is, uh, that is fair and just and that is uh, compassionate and, uh, uh, and wise, right? Um, there has to be some inhibitory function in us that uh, that chooses correctly. And that goes back to the other thing I said that requires being able to grieve. Because when I choose the right thing, I'm grieving the other thing that would have felt better. I have to live with it. I have to uh, sit with it. Or better yet, I have to redirect my attention to what I will get by doing the right thing. That's the better option. Because it's doing the right thing ought to be self-rewarding. But it's delayed. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. Right. And it, and it, it requires, a, a, well, I mean, it requires an activation of a different part of the brain that can conceptualize that, that can hold a picture of it does, yes. what the, uh, what's on the other side of, right. of this, my partner's um, just anger and right. upset with, at me. Right. right. And being able to sit there and to take it. Uh, because because I understand the pain, and I understand my urge to punch them right now, uh, or, to, or to run away, or to dismiss them, or run away. Or say, or haven't we just done? Haven't we talked about this enough already? Or what? Yeah, it's all understandable because it's all human, but I think it depends on where we set our bar. Most human beings set the bar way low. And because of that, relationships won't last. And that's just the average human being. The bar is set way low. Because, and this is just well known in, in biology, is that human beings are, are energy conserving. We do the least necessary. We do the very least necessary. The only, only people who do more than necessary are people who are motivated, they want something, or they're afraid of something. Well, that brings me back to something that I had that I made a note of earlier when you described like the scaffolding of of that person in that in that moment of you know experiencing that intense shame of he or she or they have done, and they're sitting with that and. What 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 was called what was called in my mind was um, thinking of how how little cultural scaffolding there is for many in terms of yes. um, uh, models uh, in, inspire yeah inspiring um, models of of relating of holding of of holding the, the bigger vision for a relationship. Um, and so it's, I just have a kind of a, I just, in the moment I could feel a kind of, a compassion for, for, for those that don't, that are being asked to do the, the better, the better thing, the, or the, the, 
um, how do you define character? The, um, the not 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 do the do the right thing when the when the right thing is 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 being asked of them. Right. Yeah. And and I, I guess I and I, I make it personal, and I think of my own my own fortunate scaffolding of like um, um, other other friends that you know I have a men's group that I meet near weekly and and in a way we're holding each other to building our character right because because like you say otherwise we'll, we may drift and we'll become lazy and we'll do the the least necessary to kind of muddle through but we come together and there's a sort of formalized check-in of like how you doing how are you doing you know in terms of actually doing the things you know are best for you and your relationship and your life and profession um how are you actually doing with that so it, it calibrates the system you know and so many don't have that no we we need uh we need other people um i think is what you're saying no basically yeah to to bring out our you know to put because there's there's a certain i just don't want people out in a way to to take in the message of 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 like well i I should then just kind of dig deep and be the bigger person and, and, you know, um, take, you know, deal with my shame or like, that's such a, a unrealistic expectation. It seems like, you know, right. Yeah. And that's, that's where support comes in. You know, all, all of this is interpersonal. We don't sit in a cave and suddenly become wise. I know there's a lot of, a lot of stories about that, you know, Siddhartha, Jesus, you know, um, uh, uh, but, but the truth is, uh, we formulate a sense of ourself in interaction with others. And, you know, shame is something that lives in the dark, and that's by itself. When we form groups, and then we're able to be in therapy, or we're able to talk about our shame with our partner, uh, it disperses. Uh, and, uh, and this is... Uh, Again, a part of the problem in our culture is this idea of, of you know, independence, um, of we don't need other people, uh, that, uh, that we're not shaped constantly by our relationships that we engage in. I think, uh, there, I think that's more true still for males than it is for females, although there's there's increasing parity there um, as uh, many females become more isolated and more uh, uh, you know independent uh, in, in in not the good way uh, you know phobic of interdependency but but so much of this really is an issue of not understanding interdependency I, I think betrayals are part of that mindset that that to betray you is in a sense to betray myself to harm you in a sense is harming myself there's some mind trick that we we have we use that imagines that that's not true um, and there are some people on the planet for which that will always be true because they're wired differently. But for most of us, it is true that 
the interdependency doesn't mean fusion, doesn't mean that we're merged. It means that we're, we're, we're indelibly interconnected and dependent on each other uh, in ways that I think in, in our culture, we've been denying for quite some time. Uh, a lot of our popular books, popular songs, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, support that idea. And it's it doesn't hold water in everything we know about the human primate. Um, and and it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's time from the very beginning, anthropologically and um, biologically, we are really dependent creatures. So the whole idea of shame and... Um, You know, so many people who are shame-bound were neglected in childhood, uh, you know, very early. And many of those people who were neglected are the ones who will often make decisions unilaterally to do things they ought not to do that betray their partners or that betray others uh, because they've always been on their own. They've always had to take care of themselves. And, uh, and there's not that trust, not that thought that I can actually really depend on somebody and that somebody could really trust me, right? Or that I could trust anybody ever. Uh, and so many of the betrayals that I see involve people with this background. And, um, and they are, uh, they do tend to be isolated, even though they have you know, social circles and so on, but they're lonely, isolated creatures um, for the most part and have been so throughout their their development. Uh, I know that's quite a tangent. Well, not, not really, right? I mean, you're painting a picture of, of, of what, like how it ends up happening, like these betrayals, right? Um, yes. Because the people are operating just unco unconsciously because they were conditioned to from a real one yeah. person unilateral like well, right. they would they might do the same to me so maybe just beat them to the punch or whatever whatever the kind of implicit logic is that's guiding their behavior yeah and nobody cared about me nobody really watched me nobody was interested in me uh, I was on my own and I, I learned to fly under the radar that's just how I that's how I survive it's not personal I don't mean any harm right that's that's the the mindset. Yeah, I mean, what's tragic about it is is that I mean, underneath it, I mean, there is a longing, right, to to have a reparative experience, right, one wherein there is functional, like mutual, reciprocal reciprocity right. in relationship. There's a longing, but a, but but a fundamental disbelief in it. Right. I don't believe it's possible, and so I operate as if it isn't even though I long for it. So we have just a few minutes here, Stan. We're all victims. <laughs> of our, right, of our conditioning, right? We, we just really yeah. are, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good thing, though. I mean, that, that we have these growing bodies of work like yours that are scaffolding, right? To, to, to draw out our, or to help build rebuild our our um our better nature or our um, you know higher functioning 
capacities, right? What else is there to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Stan. And um, I think I think we covered some really important material and that, that I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions around. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I believe it'll be of some use to folks out there grappling with this human condition. I enjoyed this. I really did. I really did. It was different for me. Stan, well, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, I'll see you you soon. Thank you. So that was Dr. Stan Tacken. Just a joy always to learn from him, converse with him, and uh, really looking forward to having him back on the podcast already. And uh, along those lines, if you, any of you all have any questions or thoughts that you'd like to share from this podcast or any other podcast or just about relationship itself, please go to my Facebook page, Ryan Ginn Coaching, and put it out there to me. Um, send, a, send a message uh, and or go to my website and contact me there. That's ryanginn.com. Would love to just be in conversation with you all. Well, until our next time, and thank you for listening. Thank you.